Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 143. Do we know where we're going yet? This week we're discussing season 5, episode 20 of Buffy, Spiral, as well as introducing Battlestar Galactica. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Buffy first this week, following on from a big cliffhanger into another big cliffhanger. As we... (laughs) I know, this this is... is always (laughs) at the end of the season. This is always the way it goes. So um, Uh, that's all right. Yeah, and just be ready for the next month and a half because Buffy and Angel... Buffy and Angel were just trading off like for the next like six weeks, basically. Um, That's okay. Um, And... and it's even worse than like when they originally aired, because at least when they were airing, it, they like aired on the same night. So like you could watch them back to back. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. No, I have to wait a week in between. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. All right. First, I kind of wanted to start with some of the more big picture type things. Um, and so first I thought we could talk about um the paper that you wrote on cabin scenarios in in Joss Whedon. I know All right. I get to set you up to talk about your paper. Um because you know how much academics hate to talk about to talk about what you wrote. About. So um yeah. So yeah. which I've read pieces of it. Now I can finally finish reading it and we can like yeah. and, link and to I it actually, and everything. So I had I had to go back and like double check just to make sure like that I don't give any spoilers and I don't I don't really I sort of hint uh as to like very vaguely as to like what might develop um in later seasons of Buffy but I don't I don't yeah like there's no specifics or anything so I don't I don't think think that's fine yeah um but yeah so okay I know we've talked about it before so I won't necessarily go into the whole uh idea of cabin but in in that paper i basically set up um some criteria for you know what a cabin scenario sort of entails in in particular building off the idea of the terrible place which is um sort of a uh uh, classically defined uh element of horror stories Mm -hmm. um and so um Basically, you know, this was this episode was one of my most tentative mm-hmm. of the various Whedon episodes that I did because um, it has uh, well th- this one and as I should say also Heart of Gold from Firefly mm-hmm. um, because they both have very strong uh, uh, last stand elements yeah. um, and so which you know I think. It's fairly obvious, I think, even just thinking about this episode and and also the the Firefly episode. Um, So basically what I had to do, you know, what I was trying to do was to distinguish, um, you know, what how this episode sort of is, you know, does, in fact, fit that last stand uh, motif, but how also... Um, there's an element of the last stand in sort of the cabinet scenario and how it, uh, you know, what are the elements in, in this episode that sort of cause it to be um, either, 
I, I don't want to say it's not a last stand episode because I think I think it is. And I think it can be both. Yeah. I think there's I you know, as is the case in Buffy, like it doesn't have to have just one genre. Right. right? Like we can we can sort of see how it fits into multiple um, points of view and in, in that. And so um, basically the 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 way that uh, the way that I tried to do that um, and, you know, you can tell me after you read it and our listeners can tell me after you read it as well, um, you know, if I'm successful or not. But basically, um, there's a couple things. One is that, uh, you know, you have you have sort of the apparatus of the cabin scenario. So you have it's not a cabin, but it's an abandoned gas station mm-hmm. and it's in the middle of nowhere. OK, it's not in the woods, but it is in certainly in a wilderness. Yeah. And you can actually I don't know if you noticed it. Um, actually, I'd go back and like look at all the different angles and stuff but um when there's that scene after the rv flips onto its side and there's they all get out and they're sort of walking Mm -hmm. you can actually see the abandoned gas station in the distance Mm -hmm. there um which is where they end up and and you can see there's literally nothing around it like it is definitely desert wilderness yeah um you know there's some scrub bushes and that tails and it's like hills in the background and that kind of thing but there's like so it's definitely out in the middle of nowhere it's not part of right it has to be cut off from like people Um, and civilization and yeah yeah um and so and also this is before like you know, ubiquitous cell phone usage. So, you know, like people aren't pulling out their smartphones and calling both. And actually, even just the fact that like they're in an RV, like, hello, that's the opening to Cabin in the Woods. Like you get in an RV and you drive out into the middle of the wilderness and go out there. Um, Yeah. You know, the, the, um, you know, the, the, not cell phone, but the payphone. you know, that's in the place doesn't work. Just like, um, uh what was well i guess uh in in homecoming right is the other buffy cabin scenario we talked about there actually is a phone that they call from Mm -hmm. so like it's even in a way more cut off than that is Um, although willow does you know is in the episode later able to use sure uh, the the phone to call someone oh you kind of wonder why they don't call like the police (laughs) right you know and be like hey there's a bunch of dudes with swords yeah get a swat team down here yeah uh, but you know, whatever they don't. Sure. Um, uh, but also, there like the elements of um, the knights themselves. I I kind of want to talk about too because they're even they're definitely more mythological than they are. Mm. Uh, you know, sort of normal. Like I feel like in in the in in the spectrum of like mundane versus mythology that we get in Buffy. Um, you only ever see the knights sort of in these, uh, you see them in the woods or you see them out in the wilderness. Now you get a couple instances, you get like two scenes where like you have like the three knights who come and attack Buffy. And then you have like the knights who go in to take their brother out of the hospital. But like, other than that, like they're always in the wilderness or out, you know, in the woods and that kind of thing. And it, it places them, I think in that realm of, the wilderness uh, as the sort of harrying beast of, you know, the horror episode. And so, um, you know, you get that aspect of it, but then you also get um, the, the sort of corrupting transfiguration, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever you want to call it, of Ben turning into glory, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, who is the beast Mm -hmm. and who is, you know, the one who actually menaces them in, the cabin in the abandoned 
gas station. So um, the effect of all that, uh, if, if that's enough to establish that it is indeed a cabin scenario, I think the other piece of it that I talk a lot about and, and sort of go over each of the different scenarios in the paper um, is, that, is that there's a specific effect that having that cabin scenario um, creates. Yeah. And, and it's, it's to focus on particular relationships, like in Homecoming, how it focused between, you know, it was just two characters, right? It was between Buffy and Cordelia yeah. and how it focused. And sort of after that, they, you know, even if they didn't necessarily come to fully like each other, they at least respected each other more after that. And I think you can see in their relationship that that definitely had uh, a effect, you know, that, um, you know, they focus and, and were able to sort of understand each other. In this case, you obviously have a lot more characters, but I think um, you get a number of points. One, you get, and we'll talk about like all of these, but you get a couple different things with Dawn. One, you get, you know, her learning more about herself and you get, um, you know, sort, sort of her uh, inquisitive, inquisitiveness, you know, in facing Gregor and sort of, wanting to you know even even though it might be harrowing or uh something she doesn't want to ultimately learn she she does at least you know learn about it mm -hmm. um you also get you also get ben you know you get um earlier in the episode you have the um question that the minion asks you know like can you do it can you bring yourself to kill an innocent if it's you know uh you know to kill glory and and save yourself and that kind of thing. And so you get that element of it, of him being the one to sort of have to face his yeah. morality and stuff. Um, you also get Buffy in her talking to General Gregor. You get the um, sort of her having to face herself as a leader. Mm -hmm. And like, like, cause you get like his comments about, Oh, dissension in the ranks, that can't be good. Mm -hmm. And, and his sort of almost uh, like, I mean, he's very sort of ironic and, you know, wants to kill her obviously or at least you know killed her sister and you know all of that but he he's also almost a mentor in that way of like you know you're leading an army and you're doing it poorly kind of thing right. and Buffy has to kind of face what that means and and either step up or admit that she can't do it mm -hmm. um and even like between Spike and Xander you even get a moment of like you know understanding between them where um Xander helps him light, uh, you know, a cigarette when he when Spike can't do it himself because yeah. his hands are bandaged. You know, again, two characters who and he, you know, Xander even sort of jokingly says, you know, have I mentioned how much I hate you? <laughs> you know, right. and and that kind of thing. But like, the, there is that in that moment, you do sort of see through Spike's vulnerability and the fight, and you know, being sort of stuck together in this place. Like, there's there's this commonality sort of brought between them and kind of focuses in on like what's really important so right well and even relating like understanding where we what we are to each other even if that means we don't like each other still like you said with with Buffy and Cordy they yeah they understood each other even if they weren't necessarily best buddies afterwards they, they had a kind of common understanding um yeah. and that I feel like that's right. true for Xander and Spike it's like all right, you're forced to work together, even though you're also confirming that we don't necessarily like each other on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the focus, 
you know, that sort of focusing effect that I talk about doesn't necessarily have to mean like it results in a good outcome. Right. <laughs> like, right. like it can focus totally on, on a bad, you know, aspect. And I mean, as we see at the end, like, you know, Dawn gets taken away and Buffy sort of has a breakdown there. So, right. you know, like you have to wonder, did what Gregor say to, you know, said to her, um, did, you know, how much of that affected her yeah. and her actions? Well, and, and it was striking me, like, as you were talking about, okay, focusing on all of these critical decisions that the characters are having to make, how much of that is unresolved? Like, I agree with you that it focuses on the questions, but I don't know that this episode gives you answers necessarily. Right, like right. It, and, it, and it might not give you, like, a result. Like, right. it, but it, 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 it really sort of pinpoints yeah. what and those problems and characteristics are and i think like setting it up like okay these are the questions like as we come into the last couple episodes of the you know of of the season focusing on these are the kind of critical questions that the characters are facing so like buffy's leadership and underneath that like her ability to protect the people that she cares about or her lack of ability to do that or you know will you know, Spike be able to kind of, you know, I guess like reconcile, like, you know, where do we put him on the line of ally or, or enemy, you know, like if in, in, in that moment with Xander, like you're kind of acknowledging that we don't necessarily like each other, but you're also acknowledging that you're on the same side. Um, or like with Ben, you know, the, he, he doesn't, you know, harmed on but there is that question out there of would he you know um mm. which is sort of left hanging a little bit i think um so yeah okay so i want to talk still about some big picture like mythology stuff but really quick too um when you were also talking about like blending genres and everything i also especially when you brought up the um the Firefly Heart of Gold episode too. I also like mm. wanted to bring up like the very strong kind of Western vibe that both of them have, which sure. maybe that's what, you know, the crossover between like the last stand scenario and the cabin scenario is like, yeah, yeah. that's kind of what they both have in common a little bit. And so, but just things like the, the kind of, pseudo cowboy and Indian chase of like the horseback versus the RV, you know, like, so you have, you know, yeah. medieval knights versus an RV and they're shooting like bows and arrows. And like, it feels like this is the besieged, you know, wagon out, you know, wagon training across yeah. the plains, you know, being attacked and everything. Um, yeah. Well, and, and I want to, I want to make sure too, though, cause like the um, last stand, of course you think of like, maybe like Butch Cassidy, right. Or right. the Alamo or, the Alamo or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah um, but um Last Stand movies also include things like Zulu, which is right. a war movie, uh, you know, like yeah. a, a South African right. or whatever, you know, war movie. But also I would put um, something like 300 or even mm -hmm. um, The Two Towers, The Lord of the Rings, sure. uh, you know, with uh, Helm's Deep and all of that right. as 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 the, as types of Last Stand movies. Right. Um, right. Or at least, you know, that have Last Stand you know, right. scenes in them. Right. Um, and I remember and, Peter Jackson specifically referencing the, the Zulu movie when okay. talking about two towers. So yeah. Um, yeah. That idea of like 
you know, overwhelming amounts of, you know, attackers on a small, you know, where you're at, the, your only advantage is like your kind of fortress that you have, but basically you're way outnumbered and, you know, yeah. and which yeah. is Buffy and her friends, like, you know, you kind of have the horseback chase, but then they're the ones who are like bedraggled and injured and like, yeah, the Knights lose a lot more people, but they have a lot more people to lose. Um, you, you don't get the sense that, like, you definitely get the sense that Buffy and her friends are the ones that are the most at risk in this situation. They're the ones that are surrounded well, in, in, in the gas station and everything. And there's even a sense in which the Knights um, are expendable, not not just to us as, like, viewers, but, like, they themselves are, like, right. giving up their life. Like, they talk about sacrificing their lives and their brother's lives and, you know, all that stuff you know, for their cause. Like, they even see themselves as expendable. Um, right, which is so, why they're medieval knights. Like, in their imagery, and like, like Xander references the, the crusade, like they brought their own crusade and everything, that, like, this is, like, for them, they're thinking on this in cosmic terms of the universe is at stake, and this is, like, a holy war. This is, you know, I'm dying in service of... of the greater good and the greater power. And, you know, I'm, I'm a soldier of God and I'll, you know, kind of fight to the death for, you know. Yeah. Although, all right. So you mentioned, you know, soldier of God, there is that one line and I always think of this every time. And I know we're kind of getting into maybe specific, like, I think we're going to talk about the night here. Well, sure. I kind of wanted Um, to transition to that. So that's fine. So, so if we continue talking about them, um there's that there's that um you know okay so willow puts up like the energy shield and they call in the clerics and you get the one cleric talking to i forget um i don't even know if he has a name the the sort of lieutenant there who's in charge while general gregor is captured is it Um, dante they all have something yeah it's like gregor and dante in orlando like they all have very romantic like you know, right, right. Sort of pseudo medieval names and everything. Um. Um. Anyway, so but the cleric says, you know, oh, we can break through this wall. Uh, you know, but but he specifically says, "Our God, hmm. not God, our God." And so, it it always makes me wonder, like, well, obviously, like Joss Whedon is uh, uh, non-religious. He's he's an atheist. Sure. So, um. I've always wondered in that moment, is he talking like there's the obvious sort of Christian symbology of the Knights Mm -hmm. of Byzantium. You know, they're they're kind of like the Knights Templar, you know, like the Crusades and all of that. Um, And like you said, like we get the explicit references to that. But I, I always wonder in that moment, are they talking about like the Christian God Mm -hmm. or are they talking about like some other possible like higher being sure that's like on equivalent of glory perhaps even one of her former partners right in the hell dimension right like right like, because they you, talk you about that, that yeah 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 you get the mythology of how from gregor how she was a partner with these other gods who and it's like he knows an awful lot about that who would know about that Maybe someone who's high up in the army of 
one of those other partners who doesn't want glory to get back into mm. their dimension you know what i mean so like right. i've i always wondering that like like i think it's very and i don't think i don't think there's a problem with thinking that it's the christian god you know in that mm. moment either but it, the way he says our god mm. in that moment it always made me wonder if like he's sort of admitting like there's it's sort of maybe someone on equal footing with glory or you know they might think greater than glory sure. but you know what i mean like who is actively you know doing that and and so does that even like put a little bit more nefarious twist on mm -hmm. what's going on there um yeah I because know. i agree like there's for all the like you know i get i agree there's associations of like christian symbolism with what the knights look like and everything but there's no explicit references to christianity or to like the one god you know like you said like it's more specific than that and there's a lack of any sense of sort of christian morality about them now that's not like certainly there have been crusaders you know who believe themselves in service of christianity who maybe weren't perfectly christian so i'm not like saying that that doesn't mean right. they are, but right. it doesn't seem like that's what they're talking about. Like, I don't get the sense that, you know, these, that these guys yeah. are, it, it seems more like, it seems more cultish than that, or more like dangerous than that, that these are, you know, guys that are, you know, kind of, uh, like, this is pretty much all that they're about is like, I don't get the sense that they're also necessarily spreading any sort of gospel it's like their whole you know their whole kind of purpose is this you know as warriors you know destroy the sure. you know we're the soldiers of you know of who we serve and this is our purpose is to you know destroy right. the key um yeah and and i mean it's definitely ambiguous one way or the other um yeah and and the same with the monks like you could almost see because like you almost have like three different groups and you know that there are like these three different divine beings in this other dimension, mm -hmm. right? So like you could almost see like maybe the monks were one of the other gods, right. Right. you know, groups. Right. The right. the knights the... of Byzantium are, you know, this other partner, and then like Glory has her minions. Right. You know, so like you could almost see that being sort of the setup um mm -hmm. in that way. And like maybe you know, maybe that's why you have sort of the clash between the knights and the monks. Like, ultimately, they're kind of on the same side in that they don't want Glory to get back to the other dimension. But, like, they're both, they're at odds at how that should right. take place. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I Again, like, I, it just always makes me wonder in that moment, like, what God, <laughs> you know, right. are you talking about? And... You know, why say our God instead of just God, right. you know, um, or what, you know, like, which seems like would be a more, not that I haven't heard Christians use our God, like certainly they do, but it it seems like they, you know, most people who, who, who would follow Christianity would just say God right. rather than right. our God. Right. Um, well, and Ben makes that distinction at one point too, when the minion is talking about glory being mm. god you know ben says you know uh 
she's your God, not mine. So he also like makes that same kind of distinction of, you know, uh, if there is a one God, that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about like, you know, gods who, uh, each of us can kind of individually serve or not, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, definitely more, you know, uh, Greek mythology right. God than, right. than, you know, sort of a modern Right. And, and, God. and that some of us are possessive of them. So us having different ones, I think that makes, especially since you're right, like we do get an explicit reference to being three of them in this kind of backstory that we get. Um, and that makes sense that you would have kind of like Glory's destructive hell minions, but then you have like, you know, the, the very militaristic, you know, uh, faction. And then you have the kind of peaceful, you know, monk faction, you know, that wants to protect the key rather than destroy Pe it. Peaceful slash weak and stupid, depending on your, depending point on of your point of view. <laughs> um, yeah. So, That's yeah, yeah. ringing a lot of bells for our own rhetoric in the culture these days. <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah, we don't need to get into no. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So to kind of keep on the mythology of what we learn, um, I mean, I feel like that's kind of to kind of finish up with the Knights of Byzantium. Like, I feel like that's kind of what we learn about them, and. Uh, you said they're expendable and they seem pretty much wiped out by the end of the episode. At least this branch of them is, I'm not sure if there are more of them out there, but. Um, right. We, we got sort of the one bragger way back when we first met them of like, you know, if you kill me, then like a dozen more will come and then right. like legions will come. And right, you, know, right. you, you get the sense that like, maybe they're just, like millions of them holed up in a cave somewhere, like waiting for their yeah. brethren to die before they right. step out. Um, whether that's true or not, or whether he was just bragging, yeah. like I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it up to, yeah. you know, the rest of the, you know, storyline to, to play out. But um, I mean, at least you at least get like a general here, right? So you would presume that like, he'd be leading a pretty large segment of the army, no matter what and we don't actually know how many are right we just sort of get that shot of like in the woods they're all there and then you get all the people you know on the horses and stuff and then of course you there's kind of some shots of them like surrounding the um gas station and stuff but we don't really know how many yeah right yeah um yeah and but glory kind of uh cuts through them fairly easily it seems you know so uh yeah. you know in case we weren't already pretty sure that she's you know the strongest of all of them you know um right this this group of knights that have given the scoobies such a hard time over the course of the episode she dispatches you know in a couple seconds sure um, and you know but also sort of tells you how tough Buffy must be sure. and, and, and Willow right, who, to stand up Gloria to her, yeah. on, you know, yeah. by herself, um, initially as well. So, you know, um, or maybe just how weak the Knights themselves actually are. Like, like maybe it is, you know, they're a pure numbers game and mostly that works, but right. not with glory. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so in we talked a bit about what we learned with glory, with the mythology, like, you know, so we get more of this backstory that she, we kind of knew she was from another dimension and was trying to get back. Um, mm -hmm. but there is this new information about there are other players, you know, there were other, you know, gods equal to her, I guess, in power. Sure. Um, and how it sounds like, I mean, they ruled like a kind of hell dimension anyway. So probably a pretty, you know, tough bunch to begin with, but she, you know, Gregor talks about how, you know, even for them, she grew dangerous and uncontrollable. Um, right. You know, like you kind of get the idea that they started out somewhat equals. She, she's like the Julius Caesar of the triumvirate. Sure. You know? <laughs> To, to, to make an appropriate Ides of March reference. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, and, and they looked upon her, what she had become, and they trembled. So, you know, she's dangerous, and their, you know, even their ability to control her is sort of somewhat suspect. Um, and then, so they had a big you know, they did have a big battle and confrontation and they managed to contain her and banished her to our dimension. And so this is where we finally get information about her relationship to Ben um, because he is, you know, the human vessel or the human host for, so I guess basically for his whole life, like we don't get it totally spelled out, but what I'm imagining is that like, it's not like this happened like last week. It's like he was born right. like his whole life. He's, he's had her, you know, whether right. he was naturally born or whether he was like born with this purpose. Um, you know, I imagine that like as a baby, he's had, you know, glory inside him and that maybe it's only recently that she's been able to sort of get out and take control and that that's becoming more and more, uh, difficult for him to suppress as it goes on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's some um, interesting things there that like, you know, if you're going to talk about like religion and mythology and every, and everything, there's the idea of, you know, this human born who also has kind of supernatural, you know, ability inside him and, you know, um, kind of born amongst mortals and everything. But I also am kind of interested in um, some of the parallels to both, it, like the similarity struck me for both Buffy and Dawn, um, you know, cause it, he sounds an awful lot like Buffy when he talks about how, you know, he just wants to be normal and have a normal life. And he has this, power inside him that scares him and he can't control and it takes away all the good things in his life. And it's like, okay, Buffy's said those very similar things, you know, at one time or another. Um, and then with Dawn, you have this thing of, you know, someone, you know, a vessel for something more than just who they are, but that, that being an awkward fit with them being, human beings too. Um, you know, they, and there's even the explicit uh, talk of like, would it be better for them to be killed by whoever? So you have kind of, you know, General Gregor arguing that 
you know, it's better to destroy the key and, you know, uh, save, you know, the universe from all of these doorways opening up and everything. But you've also got him talking to Buffy about, you know, how the beast is inside this mortal man and we should probably kill the man so that, you know, the beast dies, you know, that that's like her one vulnerability and everything. So you kind of have like a similar situation where they could each be under attack for the thing that's inside them um, that they they don't yes. have any control over, right. but people are out there to sort of kill, you know, get rid yeah. of the, the, the evil by sacrificing the innocent and everything. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, there's a lot there. <laughs> uh, so, Ben, Gregor says he's, uh, you know, uh, the beast was uh, cast out, banished to this lower plane of existence, which is also like his phrasing there implies that maybe he was also from the same dimension. And right. so like he's talking about it as like, this is his sort of forced exile as well, yeah. almost. Um, forced to live and eventually die trapped within the body of a mortal, a newborn male created as her prison. So you definitely get the sense that in, in a way, this is like Dawn, right? Where it's a created person, not a born person. Right, right. Um, but it was a newborn male. Um, doesn't talk about like parents or anything. So how did he survive? Who knows? But like yeah. somehow he survived long enough to be, you know, to grow up and whatever. Um, but yeah, that like, I mean, he apparently went to school and did all the things you do because like he became a nurse, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there's, there's an aspect here of like, you do get the sense that like he had something of a childhood. Now, now <laughs> I almost said normal. I don't know how normal it would have been, but, um, I want I wanted to pick up especially on the point that you said that like uh glory seems to be getting stronger and it, that's definitely seems to be true because you get like that mention of like um you know when he loses his job you know she had been in power for like 2 weeks or whatever and, like he seems surprised by by that like that maybe had never happened before yeah. or um whatever so there may have been you know maybe as a younger baby or whatever you know maybe glory didn't have the power to like get out and you get um <laughs> you know i'm also thinking of those uh what of what she says to tara about sort of being trapped in your own mind and not being able to find your way out like maybe maybe for much of ben's childhood that was the case and so yeah maybe this didn't start happening until he was older you know teenager or in college or something so and then at that, maybe it was, like, less intense or whatever. And so, like, now he's older. Um, there is – so you get the moments um, with, like, the crazy people, right? All the people that she brain-sucked uh, where they're talking about it's time, it's time, and it's all dark and all dark. Like, you get this portentous yeah, feeling, yeah. like, something is coming up. Um, and we've gotten um, – like from the minions, I think at one point talked about like, you know, timing and, and there's this and that, like, like there's definitely, and well, and we also know, let's face it, that the season is coming to an end. <laughs> like, like there's some moment yeah. that we're building, that we're building up to. Yeah. 
um, which seems important. And so, so I think it's easy enough to sort of like surmise from that, that like, it's sort of, you know, temporally, as we get closer and closer to this moment, glory seems to be growing in power. Yeah. Like, um, that there's something, you know, in this that's allowing her to sort of uh, come back more often and for longer periods of time um, from this vessel. But um, going back to Ben, though, like, like it definitely seems like he was a created person. Because he also says, um, when he's talking to the minion there, I can't remember the name, um, uh, you know, nothing's mine, is it? This life, this body is all infected. Um, and so, uh, there's also the moment where he says, uh, uh, oh, where is it? Um, oh, the minion goes, this life was never really yours anyway. And he says, it doesn't matter how I came by it. It's mine and I plan on keeping it. Yeah. So you do get that sense too. Like he even knows like whether he's been told, you know, somehow through the minions or whatever, or, you know, if there's some way that glory and ben have of communicating in the head yeah. it doesn't seem that they do but like right you know he seems to know certain things anyway like that he seems to know that like he was he was created for this purpose of being a vessel for her mm -hmm. and and so you know as happens when you create you know life artificially that artificial life sometimes wants to keep itself and not do what the creator <laughs> wants, right? Mm, interesting and, theme. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there's, you know, there's that aspect of it too. Like, you know, that he seems to understand, you know, yeah. who he is and whatnot, but that, like, it doesn't matter. He Like, he's still going to try to yeah. stop her in whatever way he can. Um, Which is basically what, Buffy and the rest of them, that's the position on Dawn is it doesn't matter that she was right. created for this purpose and that the memories were, you know, changed or that she's only this old or like whatever. It doesn't change the fact that now she's a person, however she came to be a person and that, you know, she has a right to live the same as other people do. Um, you know, so yeah, like there's a really strong sort of correspondence there, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, so I want to come. Well, all right. While we're talking about Ben, let's just keep talking about Ben because rather than come back to him, because I want to bring up too, like those decisions of so he can absolutely. He should be able to absolutely. uh empathize with Dawn, like completely understand exactly, you know, how she feels. And he definitely seems like he's always been on Dawn and Buffy's side against Glory, I think. Like he, you know, has warned, he tried to warn Dawn to like run away when Glory took over that one time and he's refused to give information and tried to help them and do all this stuff. But, um, you know, there is this kind of, ambiguity of you know ambiguity is introduced in the episode in a couple ways you know there's the scene where after Gregor is kind of trying to tempt him to just because he knows that it's Dawn um so after Gregor is trying to tempt him to you know uh just 
take care of it. You know, he kind of is holding the syringe sort of like menacing yeah. the year, but then, you know, he ends up, you know, just, you know, injecting Giles with whatever, like he doesn't hurt Don at all. Um, and then kind of says the line about, you know, that good things happen to, or bad things happen to good people and it's nobody's fault. And, you know, again, like he understands that um, and understands how that feels. Um, right. But it sounds menacing when he says it because sure. you don't know. Is a bad thing going to happen right. to a good person? Is, does he have a syringe full of poison or what? Right, you know, right. Like... Um, and then there's also just the larger idea you know, to me of, okay, yes, he wants to help and he goes there to help. They call, they call him for help. It's not like he's like stalking them or anything. Like they call him asking for help for Giles, but he knows that Glory is getting stronger. He knows that she's coming out at unpredictable moments that he can't control. And he knows that Dawn is the one that she's after. So, you know, I kind of find myself wanting to kind of like, shake him and say if you're concerned about helping them why would you go there you know he like kind of the fact is that he places himself right in the middle sure. of them you know and so of course that's when the bad things happen is when glory well, comes back you know in the middle of their cabin so uh, a couple things though one he doesn't know about the knights being there okay when he arrives sure right like like Right. He gets a call from Buffy, can you come out? I mean, we don't we don't hear the conversation, but right. I imagine it goes something like, Hey, Giles is hurt. But I don't I can I don't even know if he knows who Giles is. So like she might be like, right. A friend is hurt, can you come help? Right. We're at this abandoned gas station, here's the directions. Right. Like you almost get the sense that like he doesn't necessarily know what's going on. Sure. When he is first called out there. So I, I would I would hesitate to put it so strongly on that. And by the time he gets there, it's like, hey, there's all these guys with swords. I better do what they want. <laughs> like, Yeah, but, you know, but it's glory that's the threat, not the knights. Like, you know, he ta he carries the threat with him wherever he goes. Well, then the, the knights are a threat if they're saying, hey, you're supposed to be here, you know, to go inside to help this guy. And we're holding off on attacking, you know, for you to do that. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know, I and I I'm not saying like they're not a threat at all. I'm just saying like if I were if Ben was like knowing what Ben knows, him being near Dawn is the most dangerous thing. But did he know that Dawn was there when he before he got No, inside? maybe not. Maybe not. And maybe he, I'm presuming in, that, that he would. Once he's inside, it's a moot point because he's sure, trapped sure. with all the rest of them. Sure. Like I I mean I mean Honestly, I, I, maybe he did. I, we don't know because we don't hear the conversation between right. Buffy and Ben on the phone. Right. Um, or if we do, it's like very brief and basic. I don't like even think we hear anything. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It just like, cuts exactly from like her calling to like him coming there, I think. Him in the car, right? Yeah. 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 So like we don't know exactly what he knows getting there. But one, he certainly seems surprised by the nights. And like even in the conversation, Buffy's like, Oh yeah, sorry. I didn't like tell you about right, like right. Renfair outside, you know. Right. So you know, there is that I would tend to give him more benefit of the doubt. Mm. On the other hand, 
I think you're right. There definitely is ambiguity there because it's like in that situation, we don't seem to know. And having heard the question earlier, you know, from the minion of could you do it? Could you take an innocent life? You know, there does seem to be some sense that like maybe he's prepared to and maybe it's like sort of a game time decision. But on the other hand, I think I think in retrospect, even though there have been some maybe questionable things he's done. I think in retrospect, we can largely say that Ben has been genuine, as genuine as possible, maybe given the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, And that when he's had opportunity, like you said, like he's warned people to get away or, you know, tried to help. And like, you know, he even stabbed a minion to like, you know, try to stop Glory from finding out about the key being in human form. So, right. I, th- I think at least in retrospect, he deserves the benefit of the doubt in most of those cases, even if the cinematography and music make it seem like, you know, there are some points here where maybe he could have gone a different way. Sure. I, 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 I would like to think the best of Ben. Sure. And <laughs> um, yeah, to be honest, the one that bothered me more wasn't so much the thing with the needle, because I agree that's just kind of like, you know, filmic misdirection and everything. Um it was more the kind of idea of that he would even go to be near them at all, um, knowing what he knows. But I hadn't necessarily thought of that he doesn't realize that Dawn is there. And I think that does make a big difference. Um, Because I think if he knows Dawn is there, that's like reckless to the point of, you know, like a pretty serious, like, you know, you know, to kind of... Except, like, does, again, does he know that Glory knows that Dawn is the key at that point? I don't know. Right. I... Yeah. Well, because Glory knows because she finds out when she tears down the wall. Right. Right? Yes. And then and then she chases after Buffy and Dawn, gets hit by a truck, and turns into Ben. Right. Like... So, like, none of the minions even know at that point. Right. Um, so even though Ben knows... Like, like I, I, I agree, it's still risky. Like, because Ben knows, and Gloria knows, but they don't know that each other knows. Sure. No, <laughs> like, and I it, guess it, risky is a good word. <laughs> risky is a good yeah. word. I don't necessarily think it's... Um, nece- it, it's It's, like, malicious or you know, callous or anything. I think it's like, it just struck me as a, you know, quite a risky thing that like he would, you know, even kind of put himself near them anymore. Yeah. Um, I, but I also want to add too that, you know, Ben is human. Sure. And has human feelings. Sure. And those feelings seem to be in a positive direction towards Toward Buffy. Buffy. Yeah. Um, so and he's a human who makes human mistakes so you know yeah but I, but also like i i think i think yeah he wants to let's help. not yeah. dis, let's yeah. not discount the aspect that and, and they were going to be seeing each other right. and that kind of thing too like like there's there's an attraction there that he has for buffy too so right. i you know let's not discount that power sure, <laughs> either sure um yeah and yeah. and yeah, like on, on the human mistake level, there there's always the aspect of 
people think they can handle things that maybe they can't actually handle. So like right. maybe he thinks he'll have enough time to run away, even if it's a stupid thing to think. You know, yeah. people think stupid things all the time. So right, and you like know, maybe... you said, he didn't know about the siege, so that changes things. You know, right. that he can't run away in that moment, or that they can't run away. Um, yeah. So, um, anyway, yeah, that's not to del- that, not to belabor there, the point, but there there's a lot of conjecture going but, on. There. But there's um, and and I just want to kind of point out again too that on the question of killing innocents like could could or would ben do that to stop glory or would buffy or somebody do it to ben to stop glory those are still up in the air questions that you know haven't necessarily been given you know definitive answers yet um so Maybe not definitive, but I do think we get the sense that Ben sort of passes the test. Like this is his Galadriel moment, right? Yeah. Like now, now I will fade and yeah, yeah. <laughs> remain, you know, Ben. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I do. I, I kind of get that sense with the needle that like there's a decision made, mm-hmm. and the decision is to be a healer rather than right. a taker of life. Right. Um, that's just my sense. Sure. Not that I know what's going to happen or anything, <laughs> but that's just my sense. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I don't mean to be heavy-handed or anything. No, but, it's okay. Uh, um, uh, all right. I do want to talk about talk... other characters. So, to kind of go through them. Um, Buffy. I mean, we we talked about some of it already. Like, you know, a lot of this episode is about leadership. And I guess for Buffy, that's both, you know, that means a lot of different things. Like, can she effectively make decisions and give orders to her crew? Um, you know, to what extent is she willing to do unsavory things like, you know, take innocent lives, you know, to save the, I mean, we are, we are talking about the universe here. This is a good, a big point is we're not even just talking about, you know, we've moved beyond, okay, we have to save the school or we have to save the city or the country or the world. Now it's like all of reality is dependent. Like, you know, this is whole, you know, dimensions bleeding into each other levels of threat. So yeah, we don't want Buffy to take innocent lives, you know, but, you know, that's a a pretty big sacrifice, you know, to, to sacrifice everything, you know, like, that has to at least give you pause for a moment. Um, if there's a, a a quick and easy way to avoid that. Um, and then, you know, so then there's also this, you know, question of can she protect, you know, the people that are with her and that are close to her. And she has all these friends with her who she's trying to lead and trying to keep safe. But she's also kind of, she makes the list of all the people who've already been, you know, uh, lost to her. You know, she says like Riley and Tara and mom. Now, granted, those are all for very, very different reasons, you know, and yeah. That's sort of what you want to point out is, well, they're not all, they weren't lost because of your failures of leadership. Like, you know, 
Riley was his choice and that was specifically a relationship problem that wasn't because you know she wasn't a good slayer um you know and her mom's was a natural thing that you know she had no control over um and even Tara's you know it's yes it's related to glory but it's not like that was Buffy's fault that that happened um so you know you get the sense though of like it doesn't quite really matter why they were lost those are all becoming overwhelming you know the the losses are kind of stacking up um and that's kind of for buffy the the sense that i'm left with at the end with her is kind of when she just sort of sits and collapses it's that like you know again we've had that a little bit this season with like after her mom dying and everything but um that kind of depression which is you know a numbness that you know she can't she just she can't anymore you know she reaches the point where can't she can't even you know and everything has to sort of just stop you know and even like I like the way that even the sound kind of fades out so like Willow's kind of talking to her but it's that kind of like tunnel effect of like there's someone talking in the background but you know you can't even really focus and hear what they're saying um so yeah yeah I'm not also I'm not sure what else to say for her but um yeah no I think I think it's definitely other than other than sort of the initial uh you know where we you know, picking up from where we left off um you know and and the running away from Lori like once you get you know once they get back to um is it Anya and Xander's apartment where mm-hmm. they're talking with um you know Giles and and the rest of them there um and like Dawn gives her little like recap of the fight you know an escape from glory yeah. <laughs> um you know Buffy Buffy realizes like this is this is the moment where maybe she's suspected it for a while now, but she comes to grips with the fact that she can't fight Glory. Mm-hmm. Like there is no fighting Glory. If they're going to defeat her, there's got to be some other way, and that starts with not being in Sunnydale. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Anya's comment of you know run away finally a sensible plan. <laughs> Listen. Sorry, excuse me. Um, Anya's sort of funny comment of, you know, run away, finally a sensible plan is, you know, funny, obviously, but like, yeah, it is kind of the sensible plan. And it, like, this is, this is the one time where Buffy can't go and just beat something down, mm-hmm. right? Like, every other time, there's always been you know, a way to physically fight it. Even if it involved, you know, like in season three, you know, many people, you know, as part of the whatever, or season four, where you have, you know, uh, the Scoobies sort of coming together and, and yeah. you know, adding their essences or whatever it was. Right. Um, you know, that's still, it's still a physical assault and that won't work this time. So this is, this is definitely, and I think, 
sort of this whole season has been, you know, this is Buffy growing up, right? This is, it's not just Buffy in college, you know, it's Buffy as an adult, yeah. right? Um, realizing that, that you have to take a new approach to uh, what maybe worked before, uh, you know, isn't going to work again. And, and so this is coming, you know, this is Buffy sort of coming to grips of, okay, yeah, she has made some headway as a leader. And like, you know, she has, you know, been doing maybe her training and this and that, and, you know, stepping up after her mom dies to take care of Dawn mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. But like, she she's not a practiced leader like she's not yeah. a general you know like general gregory she's not she doesn't have plans usually mm -hmm. like or at least not long-term ones the plan might be i'll go around the back and you come in the front <laughs> like you know like those are the extent of her plans and and this clearly you know is going to take more long-term thinking and figuring out what to do yeah. and i think you know obviously like she thinks very well on her feet but there are so many moving parts that she just like that that's not enough anymore that you know getting a car and driving out of town doesn't work when you have an army of mad medieval knights chasing you down and yeah um so i think a lot of a lot of her you know thing in this episode and and you know the litany of glory riley tara mom mm -hmm. like like that's sort of like you sort of realize that that's what's been going on this whole season, right? Is that it's been it's been a long game, and and nobody, not even us, sort of as viewers, sort of realize that mm -hmm. until it's done. Like there has been sort of a running away from lots of things, mm -hmm. and it's not until you look back and see the pile of things, <laughs> you know that that you realize, like, oh, okay, like this is what happens when you just sort of do things one off, you know, one at a time, one at a time that might be okay for like kid problems and even like college problems. But like right. now you're in the real world and, and this, this needs to like, you need to actually sit down and think about it and have a plan. And, but there's not time, like right. you can't do that. And, right. and I think, you know, one of the seminal moments in the, in the episode to bring in Dawn mm -hmm. um, is, is, the conversation they have in the RV, you know, when Buffy does try to go back and have a few minutes alone and like just wants people to shut up and quit like arguing about the stupid stuff, like whether or not Spike is coming with us or not. Like yeah. that's not, that doesn't even matter. Like I need to figure things out. And, and I think, you know, Dawn going back and sort of talking to her and saying, you know, what you're doing is the most amazing thing anyone's ever done to me is like, it's a difference of perspective, right? It's that, um, what do they call it? Uh, it, you know, the imposter syndrome of, mm -hmm. you know, Buffy, like feeling like she, everything she's doing is failing and she's no good at, you know, being a leader and this and that, like Dawn has a very different perspective of yeah. everything you've done has helped me to stay alive. Right. Like that's, no small shakes to me so right, right. you know that this like let's look at it yeah like you know through a different set of eyes here not dead yet is like a triumph you know it's kind of amazing that you know right and, yeah, and like, like you said like even 
how easily Glory mows through the nights just shows how tough and, you know, uh, good Buffy and her friends have been all along. So, you, you, you know, yeah, it's not, things aren't in good shape, but they, even though Dawn, like, pays for the, okay, they can't get any crazier comment, there is that, sure. there is that, <laughs> that idea of, like, they could be worse. Like, we, they, just because you're not in a good position doesn't mean that, you know, you haven't done the best you could so far. Um, and it does kind of like beg the question, okay, so if we know, if we establish that Buffy definitely can't fight Dawn, or can't fight Dawn, can't fight Glory, and we've established that running away doesn't work, what does? You know, like if, 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 Facing it and fighting is like a suicide mission and running away is only like a temporary solution. Then what else? We need a third option here. You know, like what is that other thing which will defeat, which will solve the problem? And I don't know the answer to that, but I imagine that's like what we have to like, what they have to figure out. Um, sure. Um, that doesn't yeah, that doesn't it, include killing Dawn because <laughs> I guess that's um, a third option but you know obviously that's not one that they want to take um, yeah and sort of sort of thinking about you know the whole thing being a, a, you know sort of a continuous running away from things it reminds me um, to bring Firefly back into it of um, the message you know when you can't run you crawl when you can't crawl find someone to carry you, you know, that, yeah. that whole, um, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, or the doctors running, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, okay. Not sure where to go from there. I know we're actually a little bit over <laughs> yeah. um, our hour, so, um, but I know there's more characters to talk about too. Yeah, there are. Um, I mean, I kind of, I, I know we have covered some of it. So is there anything else about Dawn specifically? Um, I mean, I agree like that. I think for Dawn, the big moment is in the RV when she does sort of comfort Buffy and say, you know, from my, per from my perspective, you're doing a really great job. And, and, you know, Dawn appreciates all that's being done for her and everything and kind of, that relationship really maturing to the point where it's not a it, they're not just yeah. griping sisters at each other. They understand, you know, Buffy really values Dawn as a sister and Dawn really understands what Buffy is doing for her. Like, you know, well, and, and there's communication. Yeah. Right. Like th this is the, like, even just thinking back to the previous episode where, um, Dawn's like, why do I have to do all this stuff? Why do I have to go to school? Why do I have to do whatever? Right. And it's like, when Buffy finally blurts out, because they'll take you away from me, like, yeah. you know, oh, okay. And like, maybe if they had talked about that sooner, like Dawn would have been a little clearer on things. But like, this is, this is, that's been corrected, at least for now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Dawn is talking to Buffy, Buffy's talking to Dawn. Like, there's, there's definitely an understanding there that wasn't there. Um, I guess the only final thing is um, you get Buffy's repeated sort of declarations um, 
we're all going to make it. I'm not losing anyone. I won't let anything happen to you. I promise, you know, those types of things. And of course, you know, what happens at the end is glory grabs Dawn, which, you know, is parallel to the beginning, right? Is the, yeah, we come full circle. The opening, the opening scene is Buffy grabbing Dawn and running away with her. That's what glory does at the end. Yeah. Um, the difference being Glory chases them, Buffy falls and collapses right. um, to the ground. So, you know. Yeah. That's where we leave that. Um, but yeah. All right. Yeah. I don't have anything really to say much about Spike. I know we put him down there, other than that he's there to help. Yeah. Um, and Buffy. Buffy sort of explains that, you know, he's the only one besides me who has any chance of protecting Dawn. Um, no, and, and I feel like since there, you know, clashes over his feelings for her and the Buffy bot and everything, they've kind of like, they've sort of reached a natural understanding of this is the, excuse me, this is sort of the relationship is Buffy comes to him for help and he helps. And like, I'm not saying that, you know, that changes Buffy's, you know, um, distaste for his feelings or that that means that Spike stops having those feelings. But it seems like for several episodes now, this has been like the way it is, is he's here to help. And, you know, and and I think and his kind of smugness, like when she defends him and says, like, don't argue, this is how it is. His little smile of like, <laughs> you know, I told you yeah. so. Um, and and I would also say too, like, there's, well, there's certainly an understanding, right? So there's, you know, I think the one thing, like, you get at the end of the Buffy Bot episode, right, is is Buffy realizes that Spike, whatever feeling Spike has, it's at least genuine, like that that. It's not necessarily just some twisted, and this goes back to, uh, you know, Spike, um, or actually, what well, it was Drusilla saying, right? Like, uh, uh, Buffy says, like, you know, vampires can't love, or something like that, and Drusilla says, yes, we can, if you know, even if it's not wisely, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, like that, this whatever Spike is feeling, like it is genuine, you know, because he, you know, obviously allowed glory to beat him up and didn't sort of reveal you know stuff so so that there is an aspect there that he actually will protect dawn um not just that he can but that like yeah he he's in some way trustworthy to do so yeah um so yeah uh but yeah i don't have beyond that i don't really have anything um no no i don't either really um, and and well, sorry, I do. Uh, <laughs> noting that he does put himself again in bodily harm, right? Yeah. In a, in a by he like grabs the sword with his hands, yeah. and you know that really hurts. <laughs> yeah. Um. And 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 Buffy's sort of dismissal of they'll heal, they'll heal yeah. Um, which which is true, sure. but like you know, again, like it's that's a pretty painful thing to go through yeah. um, especially for someone like spike who's so focused on sort of the pleasures of life right, right. um so anyway um 
Yeah. And <laughs> and goes in and like attacks Glory like when she does appear in there and everything. Like he's one of the sure. first ones to is he the first one to run and attack I, yeah, her? I think yeah. he is. Um Yeah, he is. So yeah, perfectly willing to, you know, get hurt or worse, you know. So he does kind of make good on that promise. Um Okay, so Willow and Tara. Um I don't have a lot for Tara really. Um I I'm not sure that there's anything new from the last episode. You know, she's still sort of out of it and she's, you know, we see her chanting and repeating the same things that the people in the hospital are. So again, you get that sense that it's not just that they're um uh you know that they've gone mad, but that they're sort of channeling something, you know they have some sort of inner sight that they're also sort of tuned into. So, you sure. know, she kind of was giving them, you know, warnings and, uh, you know, thinks Dawn is, you know, very pretty and wants to like pet her and everything. So she's kind of has that second sight a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But for Willow, I guess, um, more of that kind of continued sense of her power and how easily like it's becoming very natural for her to use that in like a crisis situation where like, you know, again, she's not necessarily a match for glory, but she can, you know, use a spell in the moment to slow her down, you know, so that she does like right in the beginning so that they don't just get creamed right away. Um, Or she puts up an effective, spell to protect you know the gas station and everything um you know so you see how that's becoming like second nature um and you know and it's effective against you know these magical clerics and everything who presumably are pretty good at dismantling those things so um yeah i'm not sure what else for her other than just a stronger sense of that i think yeah, and we see the, you know, black eyes again. And, yeah, um, right. Yep. Um, Xander and Anya. I mean, Xander, it's always back to that personal loyalty to Buffy, which mostly manifests as, like, complaining about Spike, <laughs> you know? Like, either to Giles yeah. or, you know, or to Spike himself and everything. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know... Although- Although we do get his um, military experience right. pro- cropping up again. Right. And um, he kind of comes out as Buffy's like right hand man, like when she has kind of the parlay with the uh, with the knights yeah. and everything, um, you yeah. know, and his kind of line about, you know, that there are rules, you know, where there should be. So like, you know, you have to let the medic come in and attend your your wounded and everything in fair fight. So, um yeah, and um, I mean Anya gets a good a couple good lines and she tries to be sort of helpful in her own way, like, you know, whether it's you know, trying to grab Dawn back from glory at the end, um, or trying to cook or <laughs> you know Yeah, or or offering to like help Tara, you know, um Yeah. You know, when Willow's trying to feed her and stuff. Right. Um, right. And asking questions like, Are we there yet? Like 
that's again that sense of this is what people should be doing in this situation so i'll do that right. um isn't that what small children do um irritating children yeah. um and then i guess to yeah, finish I, oh sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say with anya though i do like like she's still the same of course as, you know as you point out like as, sort of trying to mimic what what should be done in that situation but um you definitely get the sense that she is more open like just with those different things like like she thought about other people by bringing right. snacks for everyone right? right like she she didn't just and and like you get the sense that that's, it's not just because that's what you're supposed to do but like that she actually thought about the other people right. <laughs> like involved you know what i mean so like like there is that sense that that maybe she's becoming a little more yeah. thoughtful of people beyond just her or just her and Xander, you know? Right. Um, right. And, you know, and again, like, so, so with, um, like offering to help with Tara and stuff, like there is, there is sort of a little bit more of a, um, I don't want to quite say caregiver <laughs> because I don't think she's quite there yet. <laughs> sure. uh, but you know, there, there does seem to be at least some, uh, some of that happening. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not just a sense of I have to do this, but if she's thinking about what should she do, it's in the sense of what would other people do as a guide rather than, well, I'm going to do this because I'm forced to or or Xander expects me to or whatever. Um, she is like being proactive in how she thinks about other people, not just when she's told to, but like, you know, naturally like as part of herself um and i guess to finish with giles i mean he kind of gets stabbed halfway through so that's not yes. good there's kind of a little dare i say a wash foreshadowing there <laughs> spoiler alert very much <laughs> a wash foreshadowing yeah like i, I I don't know how you could get more yeah, of, a, of, yeah. of a spear going through a windshield yeah. into your chest. Yeah. Uh, well, it's more his side. Right, right. Um, right. Yeah, so no. Th this is definitely a damn you yeah. in Sweden moment. Yeah, um, yeah. And kind of like, of course, it's like the one who you really want to not be incapacitated in the moment. Like, he's like, if Buffy's problem in this episode is strategy, Giles is like the chief strategist. Like he's not the fighter. Right, right. He's not like he's not gonna fight like Spike or do magic like Willow. But he could actually help Buffy like sure. think through what the plan is. And of course, he's the one to get like, you know, impaled. Um, you know, and and is pretty much unconscious for like most of the episode. Um. I mean, he does come to and has, you know, there's the nice scene where he's telling Buffy, like, how proud of her he is and everything. And that, you know, uh, not just, like, today, but how, like, continually proud he is of her and impressed by her and everything. Um, which is a little scary. That sounds a little bit like a last speech, you know, like, while I have the opportunity, I want to tell you, you know. Uh, how proud I am and everything. Um, but he's alive at this point, which is 
good. And it seems like Ben got him stabilized. So that's good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Anything well, else? No, I think uh, we'll leave it there for a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, with with Buffy sort of sinking to the ground, and yeah, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I guess. <clears throat> so. We should probably move into our next show. Yeah. Which uh, is a bit exciting. Yeah. Uh, more, more than a bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. I'm so we're, we're, we're going to be talking about Battlestar Galactica. Um, and we kind of wanted to do, I mean, it, it's been a long time <laughs> since we went back, since we were, you know, beginning this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we kind of gave at the beginning an overview of Buffy and Doctor Who from each of our perspectives, um, you know, for each show as it represented the show we were bringing. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is a bit different because we've both seen Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, although only once through, for me, have you seen it more than that? I actually have because... Um, after I watched it for the first time, I introduced it to my family. So, um, okay. but, but you have saw it before I did. Like I, I've only seen it pretty recently. So, um, it's still kind of, which, so I don't know whether that means I know it better or not, but like, it's, it's, it's <laughs> certainly fresh, but, um, but I've come to it just within the last couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. sure. I know. And I would have said the same thing, except you pointed out to me that it was actually like eight years ago now that I saw it. And then I was like, oh crap. Oh, yes. yes. It has, it has been that long yeah. about. Um, well, not since it, I, well, I guess, okay. That is since you saw it. Cause you said you kind of, okay. You talk about yeah, it. You uh, watched it. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Why don't we give our own personal histories? Um, so yeah, so okay, so I guess technically like seven and a half years ago. Yeah. Um I started watching it. Um the the show started um with the miniseries in two thousand three and then with the actual series um in two thousand four. I started watching it in uh September two thousand eight, um which at that point was between the two parts of the final season, season four. Yeah. Um, uh, which was due to the writer's strike, which if, if we're talking in context of Whedon is when he was working on like Dr. Horrible and all of that. Right. Sure. Um, sure. So and they didn't have the writer's strike in Britain, so that's not applicable to Dr. Who. <laughs> sure. Sure. But, um, for BSG anyway, yes. it was, um, and for other shows at the time, um, because that was also, uh, Around the time he was working on Dollhouse, right? Um, mm, okay. I can't. I can't remember exactly how it played out, but yeah. Uh, anyway, so BSG was on hiatus anyway mm -hmm. as part of that, um, and uh, so I don't remember exactly what prompted me to watch it. I think it was just, oh, there's a sci-fi show that is getting 
has gotten, you know, at that point, some good acclaim. And I don't know, I didn't have anything else to do, I guess. So um, I obtained copies of, you know, the the seasons that were available to that point and um, watched through it. And then uh, I was able to actually start and catch up um, in time for... uh, when the show resumed in September, or sorry, uh, in January 2009, when it started airing the second half of season four live, mm-hmm. um, and and was able to watch those episodes live. Um, sort of ironically enough, uh, in context of this podcast, is that um, I I actually watched um, those first, you know, three and a half seasons or whatever uh, before I ever watched Buffy. Um, and it was in that same sort of hiatus that I actually found um, the chosen collection of Buffy at, on Amazon yeah. for like some something like 75% off or something like that right. of its normal price um, and ordered it like during that same like holiday shopping season, right. you know, in 2008. Um, and then... Uh, uh, was actually watching Buffy for the first time through at the same time as the second half of season four of Battlestar Galactica was airing. So I kind of, it, in my own mind, like there's sort of that connection there too yeah. um, of when I first experienced them both. Um, of course, Buffy had been out for quite a while at that point, but um, it was my introduction there. I had seen Firefly previously before that. Mm-hmm. So, um, which ties in because i don't know if you know this but it's the same cgi company yeah i don't um, know if i did know that who who did battlestar galactica and there's actually i can't i don't remember exactly where it is i i want to say maybe in the like the miniseries perhaps or maybe one of the early episodes there's actually a firefly class spaceship in sort of the um squadron or the the group of ships the fleet uh with with uh you know, that are with the Battlestar. Um, so that's funny. We'll have to point that out. I, I'll, I'll have to look up to see exactly where that is. Yeah. But, I don't know that um, I've ever noticed it before. So we'll have to look yeah, for it. You know, it's what it, it's an Easter egg type thing. Like it's, you know, yeah, yeah. but because it was the same CGI company doing it, um, they, they threw it in there. Right. Um, so I actually, <laughs> funny enough, I, um, still have the google account that i used at the time um that i was watching bsg for the first time and actually buffy too although i didn't um go back and look but i had sort of just out of curiosity gone back to see um there's a friend who i was chatting with at the time about um about Battlestar Galactica as I was watching it. And I was giving him sort of my first impressions. And, and it was interesting to go back and sort of reread some of these because, uh, I mean, I don't know that I would have remembered these things that I thought, um, but it's nice to have that record. Yeah. Um, so one of the one of the things that uh, I had written at the time that I liked about uh, the show was uh, around the characters um, and just sort of the complexity of the characters mm-hmm. and how... Um, you, you sort of have various archetypes, right? You have like the hardened battle commander, you have the reluctant politician who's, you know, becomes president and uh, you have the sort of maverick fighter pilots, but also how, um, you know, which I, I feel like has been 
become more and more the norm now uh, mm-hmm. rather than uh not but even even you know eight or ten years ago like it was less so i think that that they cross lines you know and and that those sort of tropes and ar- archetypes were you know becoming more blurred mm. um within the series and and you know i'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about with regard to individual characters but um that was certainly one of the things that struck me initially just sort of from the get-go um with the show um also and i you know again this is like another thing that has sort of become more the norm but i think was not as much at the time that battlestar galactus first started airing was around um just sort of different distribution methods so you have um you have like the pilot that's actually like a mini series and then you know goes into a series and then you have um you know which again is sort of like firefly right with the sort of double Mm -hmm. first episode um of serenity right you kind of have like a mini series that serves as like a backdoor pilot for the series so you kind of start with Um, your tv movie and then that's impressive enough to give them like a full yeah. series and everything. And, and again, that's not to say that that never been happened, but like you couple that with the fact that like, there's another movie like in the middle of the season or in the middle of the series. Yeah. And then you have like the plan, which comes after the series, but it's a prequel. And then, I mean, then you have like the spinoff Caprica and mm-hmm. stuff like that too. Um, but then you also get like the webisodes and stuff. Yeah. And again, like I know there are shows that do those things now too. But I feel like those weren't that wasn't the norm when BSG mm-hmm. was airing. Like yeah. maybe there were a few that had done it, but like it wasn't. Right. It definitely didn't seem you know two thousand three, two thousand four. Yeah. Like that wasn't stuff that people were doing. It wasn't till like YouTube and Vimeo yeah. and other sort of um, you know uh, web based video services came along yeah. that um, that you started having. Like things, parts of the story actually being written for those other sort of distribution media. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, so those um, and 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 the CGI, as I mentioned, um, I actually had made a comment um, that that the CGI team stole some tricks from Firefly, and at the time I didn't know that it actually was literally the same, yeah. <laughs> the same team. So um, yeah. Uh, I just, when I ran across that com- uh, comment, uh, yeah. just the other day, I, I kind of laughed and was like, oh yeah, well, I guess they did steal a few tricks. Um, yeah, so yeah, and- so that's, that's sort of my introduction and, and first impressions anyway. But, um, what, what do you remember? So here's my memory and I, some of it, I don't remember like exactly what, I don't have, I wish I had my first initial reactions documented like you do, but um, I remember kind of what happened. I don't necessarily remember all my thought process and reasoning for it, but I think I probably started watching it actually around the same time that you did. Um, And I, it was before there was Netflix streaming because I had Netflix DVD order, mail order. And my memory is that it was either when I was home for break, like summer break between college semesters, or maybe I had just graduated, but I was at home and I had like Netflix. And I think same as you was like hearing about 
probably it was getting ready to finish. So this was either 2008 or 2009. Maybe it had just finished. Um, and was hearing a lot about it. Like, okay, the show is wrapping up and was hearing all the acclaim for it. Um, and so decided I would start watching it and started doing that. And then I know the point at which I stalled because I can recognize where I, you know, didn't see beyond a certain point the first time. Um, and I don't remember in intentional, uh, I don't remember well enough how much I enjoyed or didn't enjoy it the first time through. Um, I don't remember specifically deciding to stop watching, but at some point I stopped watching and I never finished. And I, it, it's somewhere I'll be, I, I really can't wait till we talk about it because I kind of can almost tell you exactly where it is. It's like at a certain point late in season two, um, it lost me. Um, and then I always meant to get back to it. And I think it was just like within the last two years or something, I decided, all right, I'm going to pick this back up again because I like need to keep going and try to finish it. And I stalled at the exact same point. <laughs> and like, I didn't realize it at the time um, because then when I finally, I think that second time I started at the beginning and then finally I was like, mm -hmm. all right, I'm really going to finish it this time. <laughs> and I had it on Netflix streaming. So I knew where exactly where I left off and I picked it up and it was literally like if I had pushed through the next episode or two, I would have been fine. But at the same point, twice, I just hit a roadblock. Um, mm. So I can't kind of wait to talk about that to see like what my feelings <laughs> are about it now. But once I pushed past that point of resistance, I zoomed right through the rest of it. Um, like the end of season two and then three and four, um, I went through no problem. And then, um, and then, like I said, ended up going back and introducing it to my family. Um, cause I thought they would enjoy it, but, um, I'm kind of excited to talk about this because I feel like for me, this show as evidenced by my stalling is a show I appreciate even more in retrospect than I did. You know, it was one that I didn't necessarily have the easiest time going through on the first time. But once I got past that, whatever that holdup was, um, when I went back and kind of looked at it after having seen the whole thing and then going through it again uh, a second time, I appreciated it much more. So, um, so it's one I'm glad that I'm seeing before we've we're doing the podcast and that like I mean I feel like I still kind of want to take the same approach where we're talking about one episode at a time and we don't necessarily want to talk past that point while we're sure. doing it but I feel like I appreciate it way more having seen it than I would have if I was talking about it sort of having just seen it for the first time I guess um and I mean that's hard to say. Maybe if we were doing this podcast and I was seeing it for the first time, I would get more out of it. Um, but, um, you know, from where I'm sitting, I think I definitely enjoy it much more on subsequent viewings than I did the first time through. So I think I'll have more to contribute to the conversation that way. Um, sure. So... 
so that's kind of my history. So I, you know, I kind of like wrote out some notes. I don't, I, I'd really like it if maybe there are people who've been listening to this podcast that are Buffy or Doctor Who fans that maybe don't know BSG that would like to give it a shot. So I kind of don't want to assume that everybody has seen it before, although I know a lot of people have. Um, but I felt like it would be worth going through like some kind of basic history of the show. Um, so, I mean, I can kind of read out the notes I put in, but you can interrupt me or stop me or take over or whatever. Um, but I wanted to kind of point out that like Doctor Who and like Buffy, it's a, a continuation or slash revival of an older TV property. Um, I've been chastised by somebody that we know for calling old BSG classic because <laughs> there's maybe, maybe between one thing I think is really interesting is not only are Dr. Who and Buffy and BSG all older, like previously done stories and properties, but they're all extremely campy, like in their origins, they all have mm, this like sure. this campy sure. cult status. And then I feel like the three of them react to that in different ways. Um, you know, they, the, the 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 extent to which each of the revivals embrace the campiness is like a study in contrasts like how do three different shows you know uh carry that torch and you know bsg is definitely going at it a different way than you know i would say doctor who and buffy are much more comfortable with their campy status whereas bsg wants very strongly to kind of go the other direction and you know incorporate sure. incorporate some of those it, it's not embracing the classic series in the way that doctor who was i would say well no i, I think part of well i think there's a couple things too going on there yeah. because um i mean with doctor who obviously you you have like different people involved at different stages and yeah. sort of you know, taking over different production roles. Um, with BSG, well, so with Buffy, you get, you know, it's Joss's baby. Although, you know, the problems with the movie were not Joss's fault, right? Because he didn't direct it and, right, you know, right. produce it and stuff. So, um, you know, in a way, the, the TV series becomes sort of a correction yeah. of what went wrong there. Um, with BSG, you've got different, um, different people who are, uh, you know, who are, are involved. So you have Glenn Larson who created the original series. Um, and you and there's also the timing aspect, right? So it, the 1978 series right after the huge success of star wars yeah. yeah um and so you get a lot of you know sort of attempts to sort of maybe copy or capitalize on that type of science fiction yeah um <laughs> there's there's like you know the adorable like uh, droid or robots type thing, you know, in, in, in the original series, which I have, I have seen the original series, but I can't say that like 
like I, I watched it like as I was doing other things. It was never enough to like capture my attention to just like sit down and like view it. So it was like always while I was like doing dishes or like, yeah. you know, I'd put it on before I went to bed and inevitably would fall asleep, you know, yeah. 15 minutes in or whatever. So, um, you know, there's definitely uh, a bunch of different, um, you know, aspects that carry over. But, but I, you know, I feel like the original the original series is sort of stuck in that, you know, late seventies, early eighties, mm. science fiction, serial, uh, you know, sort of, um, legacy of like flash Gordon yeah. style, you know, storytelling and stuff. Um, and so, you know, again, not to say that you don't have like a lot of the major elements and characters there that have carried over, but, um, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, so you have Glenn Larson who, you know, I, you know, not that I'm like a big, like, I don't know much about him or whatever, but you know, he was a, he's a TV producer. He worked on all sorts of, he worked on like Buck Rogers and mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew series, like, you know, very much um, in the, in the sort of serialized storytelling vein. I think one of the big differences that you have then when you get to the 2003-2004 revival is you have Ronald, Ronald D. Moore, you know, who becomes the uh, executive producer and, and I guess creator of the Reimagined series. Right. I don't know if that's sort of his official title, but, you know, he's the thrust yeah. of, you know, the, the main um, uh, uh, writer and, and, you know, overseer of the reimagined series. Yeah, so, yeah. um, and, and Ron Moore, I mean, so you get, he, he's more of, I, you know, again, he was in the, um, television stuff and he worked on a lot of Star Trek and, um, you know, that type of stuff, but, you know, he worked on like different versions of that. Like it wasn't the original series yeah. right it wasn't sort of the campy you know it was more next generation and deep space nine and voyager and so you get um you get him involved but you also get the fact that like he he went to cornell and he studied political science mm -hmm. and which obviously comes through very well in yeah. in bsg like that's one of you know that's one of its strengths is is its ability to sort of you know, to have commentary on various political issues and, uh, you know, work them out in, in the situation that the, you know, Battlestar fleet finds themselves, but also, you know, apply it to things today. And I'll be particularly interested to see, you know, because back, back then you had, um, you know, you had the end of when, when it was airing, mm -hmm. you had, you know, Bush's second term mm -hmm. and, you know, into the, uh, rise in nomination and eventual election of Obama. Right. And so there, you know, there were some very contentious things going on then. Not that there aren't now as well, <laughs> yeah. like eight, eight years later in the political cycle. We've got is, it figured know, out. <laughs> churning again, but it'll be interesting to see how some of those conversations hold up. Yeah. But, but I think, I think given that, you know, focus, of his on, you know, studying political science at Cornell, like, you know, that's, that just naturally is going to give a very different flavor. And, yeah. and then you have, you know, all of the, you know, 20 years later with the different production values and yeah. 
you know, well, more than that, right? 25-ish years later, you know, the production value and, and ability to create a plausible secondary world. Whereas, you mm-hmm. know, uh, again, you're getting, you know, you're getting uh, with the original BSG series, you're getting uh, Star, Star Wars uh, type effects on a tv budget right right? so it's like not that star wars budget was all that much for movies but it was still you know larger than you know you're going to get for like an abc special you know sunday night special or something right um so or whatever i don't even know what channel it aired on but there were only like five then right so right right um (laughs) (laughs) uh so i i think i think I think that's one big difference between sort of the, the, you know, you like, I think we've seen that Buffy gets less campy over time, yeah. but it still sort of retains its campiness. And so does Dr. Who, even yeah. with the vastly different um, changes in uh, production value and all of that. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, with Dr. Who, even though you have different showrunners and focusing on different elements, you still get, they're all sort of still dedicated to the same idea, the same core idea, I think of Dr. Who and who the doctor is and all of that. Whereas I I think this, the the change here is that you have a fundamentally different outlook and vision from, you know, driven by, you know, that executive producer or, you know, head writer or whatever you, you know, whatever role he's playing because he plays many of them, Um, you know, and yeah, there's a, and all that. I I think I have it. I'll find the link to it. But there's a the famous um, memo that he wrote, which was like, you know, something which is meant like a mission statement sort of meant for the studio, but that ended up accidentally getting stapled to all of the scripts that went out to actors um, and where he kind of, you know, said things like we're going to take this the opera out of space opera and all this like his kind of vision for, which was the thing that convinced a lot of the actors to do it, you know, because they wouldn't necessarily have been the first to sign up for something with the title Battlestar Galactica attached to it. Mm. But the extent to which, whereas I feel like with Doctor Who, like if Buffy was kind of a corrective to create something good out of what turned out to be sort of a false start. um, And I feel like Doctor Who very much trades on the fact that it's a continuation of the the old thing it's it's that nostalgic recalling of the thing that you loved from your childhood i mean obviously it introduced generations of new viewers but it also wanted to be inclusive of the the people who grew up with it throughout the 60s and 70s um and i feel like i wouldn't i mean i don't know enough about quote, classic BSG to really compare too much how much it it references it or not. But um, I feel like certainly in that tone and in that whole uh, approach of the showrunner, you have more of a decisive split with, you know, we're not necessarily, we're going to take what worked from the original concept, but we're not beholden to um, trying to recreate a nostalgic experience, you know? And I know, like, people who were fans of the old show didn't necessarily get right on board with the new one. Um, 
if they ever got on board at all, it was sort of something they had to sort of get used to big fundamental changes being made. Um, but I also don't want to sell short the, the extent to which they use those old ideas either. Um, cause I think, you know, from what I've seen, there's a lot of like, you know, that, that core concept is basically intact of, you know, the, the, the fundamental premise of the series yeah. and the thrust of the series is retained yeah. that that's a kind of mythological kernel, which is important. And something I want to yeah. keep coming back to is this idea of, is it a reboot really, or is it a continuation or a revival? You know, cause mm -hmm. I don't know that that's quite such an easy question to answer yeah. as it might you, you out there listening might have a one or the other opinion as to that answer. And I don't know that it's that easy. So that's something I kind of want to yeah. keep an eye on. Yeah. Well, and, and so like we're talking about 1978 and 2003, 2004, but there was also a 1980s uh, like TV movie attempted revival as well. Like there, there's more than just, those two right. things and there there were i believe in the interim i oh, i probably should have gone back to look or maybe you even have it in your notes like that there were other attempts to revive it yeah even without uh you know even between those, i think that's what um, i read is that there was always sort of somebody was trying to get it going again yeah. um yeah yeah and actually really quick while i'm thinking about it too you pointed out the influence of political theory on the writing and everything and, and the Bush era politics and just what was going on culturally and everything. And I also want to point out too, that this is the one that's really coming right after like nine 11, you know, there's that, uh, you know, it, it's, if it, right. if, if we count the mini series as the beginning of it, it's basically two years after nine 11 is when, so if it took a year or something to develop, it's basically being written and produced right in the wake of, of yeah. this important. So just the influence, pretty much everything that came out at that time within well, and, that first couple of years had a, can't help but be influenced by that. I mean, I mean, given what happens right in the pilot and, yeah. and you know, I mean, we won't get into plot or anything too much, but given sure. like the, the massive destruction <laughs> yeah. that happens in the pilot, given like that's the terrorist attack. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, that's, like how can you not be sort of drawing those parallels right, right right um so right so not only does he kind of have political science in his dna but that's very politics is very forefront in the culture i mean i guess sure. they always are but like really you know in a really kind of well in a, and in not a really just politics way but, i think but politics specific to terrorism and warfare and appropriate response to um you know sort of protect uh the people that you have left when when there's a uh you know chance that yeah your civilization might be wiped out or that kind of thing and it you, you know and it's funny not funny haha of course but sort of interesting to think about um you know we don't like we're we're obviously in a very different time period than um cold war era but like that original 
you know, series was definitely sure. still, you know, in the Cold War. I mean, it wasn't 1950s Cold War, but it was, you know, 70s and 80s Cold War. When you're coming um, out of the 70s where there was, you know, points of deep recession and, uh, yeah. you know, you had, um, you know, you still you, like this. This was before, you know, well, actually, 1978 was um, Reagan, you mm -hmm. know, started, you, you know, uh, you or. Uh, it, it was leading up to his start in 1980 when he became president. So, you know, like you have his rise just and, and the end of sort of Jimmy Carter's uh, couple of years there. And then, um, you know, but it's it's before it's before the sort of 1980s you think of as sort of the, the slackening um, or, or uh, uh, the, the coming, you know, coming to more an agreement between sort of the U.S. and Russia. Mm -hmm. But you have, uh, you, you know, it's well before the, you know, Gorbachev, you know, bring down that wall right. speech right. and all of that kind of stuff. Like this is, you know, um, very different time periods. But it's interesting that that you can still take that core I you know the core ideas that are from that original series and bring them thirty years forward, twenty five years forward, or whatever, and they still resonate. And and even though we don't have the same necessarily fears of like global thermonuclear war, like you know, there's still acts of terrorism and still very massive destructive things that could happen. And yes, the possibility of nuclear bombs, you know, mm -hmm. and so seeing that sort of massive scale destruction like still sort of hits a chord with people yeah. um i think um and and again you know with 9-11 being so close to when it was um you know first aired obviously helps impact that but but i, I i'd be interested to see because like you still have i you know it, it all it's all happened before it'll all happen again <laughs> like you you still have discussions about what are the appropriate responses to terrorism in in this election yeah. cycle and you have um you know things like you know how much privacy should people have and how much uh leeway should the government have to invade that privacy when they deem it's necessary you have things like apple fighting mm -hmm. you know the fbi over unlocking an iphone you know that um a terrorist had had or you know um just issues that come up during the campaign with certain candidates you know talking about building walls and kicking people out and you know carpet bombing the mid-east and that kind of thing right. you know it's just like you know what all of these issues are still relevant and still yeah. you know uh things that we talk about and deal with and debate right. and uh and and that affect us in in more tangible ways as well not even just sort of as intellectual curiosities but but are you know uh you know things that affect people's lives and livelihoods and mm -hmm. and you know so yeah yeah no so good these are timeless questions unfortunately but you know they make for good tv um <laughs> and good podcasts <laughs> good podcasting <laughs> um should give us something to talk about um good so I also wanted to point out too, besides Ron Moore, there's a couple other like, I mean, I want to try to do what we've been doing with the other shows of like pointing out like notable like writers when they pop up and stuff. So obviously this isn't a full list, but just going through like, you know, 
the list of people involved, there's a few names I kind of want to point out as important um, besides Ron Moore. Um, the first being uh, David Icke, who was, you know, the executive producer alongside Ron Moore. So had some uh, some influence in the writer's room and wrote a couple episodes, but was more from the producing point of view than the than the purely creative point of view, I think. Like, I kind of, it kind of seems like he's maybe the, the Julie Gardner to, to Ron Moore's Russell Davies or something. Like, this is the, mm-hmm. the guy who helps you get it done from the production point of view. Um, and he had uh, experience um, executive producing other shows, uh, the notable ones being Herc and Xena, um, you know, the legendary journeys of Herc and Xena from way back in the day. So um, had had another, you know, popular, you know, successful property underneath him and everything. Um, which I guess is where the Lucy Lawless connection comes in. So we'll kind of get to her eventually. Um, of the writers, the one I really want to point out before we get to them is Jane Espenson, um, who we know very well. So we'll be looking forward. And now, so now she has Buffy, Doctor Who, and and Firefly and BSG connections. So she's like the most, you know, uh, versatile, Proli- prolific, prolific of, all, yeah. of the writers, I think, that we've looked yeah. at. Um, yeah, and I don't think she comes in until season three, but uh, she does eventually uh, join the team. Um, I also want to talk, I, I don't know, to, we'll kind of see how it goes, how much we'll talk about this in the show itself, but I'd like to occasionally talk about um, Bear McCreary's score. Um because mm. I, I think it's awesome. It's definitely vaulted to one of my favorite scores ever. Um, and especially because not only is it really good, but one thing I want to definitely look at is the way in which it like it plays an important role in the story. Like, you know, I feel like I enjoy Doctor Who's score, but I don't know that it necessarily, you know, is a character in the show the same way that the score for, you know, Battlestar is. Um, so I kind of wanted to bring him up and, and just his impressive pedigree that he's also written for, he writes the music for agent agents of shield and the walking dead and black sales and outlander. And he's done many other ones besides. So this guy is like, you know, I don't think he sleeps really. Um, cause those shows are all on the air right now. <laughs> so he manages to somehow like write for like 10 shows simultaneously, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then lastly, I'm not going to go through them one by one because there's a lot of them, but I want to kind of also point out the importance of the actors and you pointed out in just from your notes of when you first watched it, how impressed you were by the characters and the characterization and obviously writing has a lot to do with that. But I feel like in this show in particular, the acting is, you know, a huge reason behind how, you know, successful it was. Um, And for me, one of the things I really like about it is the variety of actors that you get like um, Edward James Olmos and Mary McDonnell who are established, you know, like had been working, 
you know, in Hollywood for a really long time. And like Mary McDonald has been nominated for a couple Oscars. So she's like, you know, they're not A-listers necessarily, but they're very well, you know, for your revival of a campy 70s sci-fi show, you're getting some really high profile, you know, heavyweight actors behind it. Um, But then the fact that it's not just like those name people, you've also got younger actors from, you know, the United States and Britain and Canada who are all like either early and just starting out in their careers or they're these really experienced like character actors. Like it's like now that I've seen Battlestar Galactica, whenever I watch any other show, I'm being like, oh, that's that like there's always they pop up everywhere. Um, yeah. Usually when yeah. they're filmed in Vancouver, but um, <laughs> sure. But these are like the really, they're not just any old actor. Like I feel like they really went out and got really experienced, really accomplished actors who, you know, aren't necessarily your starring Hollywood. You know, they're not the people you're going to see in like your big Hollywood movies, but they're people who have a lot of training and experience behind them. And right. so like, even yeah. for the more minor roles, you're getting some really great performances, I think. Yeah. Um, um, well, and just in speaking of actors, of course, we have to point out um, that there's Whedon connections yeah, as well right. with some of the actors. So, um, and probably the biggest one is uh, Tamil Pennicott, who plays Hilo uh, in BSG, uh, also starred in Dollhouse, mm-hmm. um, had a major role there. Um, but you also get... Um, you also get a couple of other uh, BSG actors, <clears throat> excuse me, um, showing up in Dollhouse. Um, Jamie Bamber, who plays Leodama, mm-hmm. um, uh, showed up in one episode. And then also um, Michael Hogan, who plays Colonel Ty, mm-hmm. uh, showed up in an episode of Dollhouse as well. I, I, there's probably other connections um, that maybe we'll see, you know, probably more bit connections. But the, sure. I mean, those are three big the major ones, names yeah. in BSG who end up showing up in um you know, the dollhouse TV series, which, um, you know, which again, actually, uh, started airing while the last half of season four of BSG was airing. So, um, you get, you get in some cases them being in both shows, um, at the same time. Right. There's some overlap there. Yeah. Um, um, or, or at least Tamo Penniket, I, I guess maybe not, um, and the other two, but right. Um, yeah. And, I'm glad you brought that up with Joss because I found a couple quotes that, you know, we have Joss's support for watching this show because he was a a huge fan by his own admission. Um, I have a nice quote from him, um, which he put on the Whedon-esque message board um, back in 2006. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, I'm just sneaking in to say I've been continuing to watch BSG the wife and I are about halfway through season one and gushing isn't going to cover this one. You guys have heard me gush, so it won't have any real meaning. You have to imagine Pauline Kale bursting into, into song, Lionel Barrymore in Wonderful Life, jumping up and jitterbugging with George Bailey, the Grinch's heart growing three sizes. You got to start down there to explain what it feels like up here. Um, he goes on for a bit. I don't necessarily have to, I can link to the longer thing, but um you know, and then in another interview, he says, I think it's so passionate, textured, complex, subversive, and challenging that it dwarfs everything on TV. So, you know, Joss was certainly a fan behind it. Um, 
you know, and so I'm not surprised that he would then go and cast the actors in his projects later on and everything. Sure. Um, And I guess just on that theme, obviously we're picking shows that have, are not just, you know, fan favorites, but have critical acclaim behind them that are, they're considered, you know, uh, some of the most influential um, or, you know, well-written things that have been out. Um, So, you know, I've, you know, looked up a few different, you know, all the different publications do their rankings of, you know, best TV shows. And so like EW and Empire and TV Guide, you know, I'll put it in there. And, um, And in 2013, the Writers Guild of America did their best of TV list and they put it at number 38. Um, they put Buffy at number 49, just so you know. Um, and Doc- <laughs> Doctor Who, of course, wasn't on the list. That's not even <laughs> on the stratosphere of the Writers Guild of America. But um, Sure. But anyway, they both made it solidly on the list. Um, and then also there was, in 2005, the Peabody Award, um, you know, which tends to be for things which are not just well done, but have some sort of cultural significance too. Um, Hmm. That I think tends to be, you know, why they give out those awards is, you know, for having something sort of relevant to say about the time that it's being made and everything. Um, So that was, so if it came out in 2005, that's probably like for the first, the first or second season or something. Um, Like that's still pretty early on in the run. Um, so yeah. And then I think we kind of already talked about the other things I wanted to talk about, like, you know, the reboot issue and the campiness issue. And, um, and also I thought like Dr. Who and Buffy, there's also some genre crossover in my opinion between fantasy and sci-fi. Um, you know, this might feel like the most hard sci-fi of the shows that we've looked at, but I don't know that that's, uh, all that there is to say about that either. So, um, you know, if Buffy is sort of a fantasy show with a slight sci-fi bent and Doctor Who is the opposite, um, I'll be interested to see kind of where, you know, we think BSG sort of falls on that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. And I, I mean, sort of from, uh, uh, reading the book by the cover, I would, I would tend to think, sci-fi with a blend of fantasy in it but maybe we can revisit that at the end of the series too (laughs) Um, or maybe there are other nuances to add yeah yeah yeah, yeah. those things so yeah sure um yeah definitely and and you know like like just even we were talking about earlier tonight with spiral like i mean they're you know that had Western, you know, yeah. influences and, yeah, and horror know, military and genre yeah. and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, throughout the series, there, there's probably going to be some uh, back and forth. Uh, but, yeah, cool. Well, I'm excited. I, ha- I have not – I've only seen the entire series once. I might have seen, like, a random episode here and there yeah. over again. But – yeah. Um, you know, watching it through, I've only seen it once. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to revisit it. And uh, you know, I remember really enjoying it. Um, and yeah. Cool. 
All right. All right. Well, on that note, I guess we'll uh, we'll be back. So the first um, part that we're watching is the first half of the miniseries, right? Right. Yeah. So they have the miniseries. I think pretty much in any like DVD you watch or what or streaming or whatever, they have the miniseries split into two parts, which they're actually. We'll have to see how this goes because they're each part of the miniseries is basically two episodes. It's sort of a four part miniseries, but they have it split into two. So it's like an hour and a half part one and part okay. two. Um, so, you know, it's the first one we'll see. Obviously we may not cover absolutely everything, but, or we might feel a little bit long, but, um, but we'll do it as it has it, I guess, in the Oscar long crazy talk. Um, yeah, so we'll do miniseries part one, then miniseries part two, and then we'll get into, I guess, season one proper, and then the episodes are normal length, so, um, you yeah. know. And we'll, we'll share when we get to, like, if we, if and when we do the various webisodes and Yes, uh, yeah, all the thing. different, like, supplementary, you know, uh, appendix materials and everything, um. We will cover it all. All righty. Cool. Sounds good. And we'll be back with some more Angel next week. Yes. Yes. Well. In the host's dimension. All right. See you then. Perhaps. <laughs> See you then.